Thank you, Pastor Mike. Well, if you have a Bible with you, we are going to continue this morning in our study of the Gospel of John, and more specifically, John chapter 5, where we have been for a number of weeks. This morning, we will look at John chapter 5 and verses 37 through 40. These are the words of Jesus. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. As I was studying this week, I came across a thought from one author who said that John chapter 5 is one of the most difficult chapters in the entire New Testament, and yet it is one of the most important chapters in the New Testament because of its content, because of its heavy emphasis on the deity of Christ, that Jesus is fully God. So one of the most difficult chapters in the New Testament. I shared with you a few weeks back that we are in deep waters in John chapter 5. Beautiful waters, but deep waters. And yet, at the very same time, one of the most important chapters in the New Testament. Where we are at this morning is Jesus is in this ongoing, intense conversation and conflict with the Jewish religious leaders. And it is concerning his claim to deity, his claim to be equal with God. He has shared with them that God is his Father. He has said that he is equal with God. He has said that he and the Father are in perfect harmony and unity and purpose together. And they understood what He was saying perfectly because the Bible says that they wanted to kill him. In fact, they tried all the more to kill him because of his claims to be God. And that brings us to our first point this morning, and that is the deity of Christ. One of the most foundational truths in the entire Bible is the deity of Christ. How important is it that you believe that Jesus is God? You cannot be saved without believing this. You cannot go to heaven. You cannot have eternal life unless you believe that Jesus is God. Now, you need to believe more than this, but you can't believe less than this. You also need to believe that Jesus died for your sins, died in your place, died as a substitute for you when he died on the cross and then was raised victoriously from the dead, conquering sin and death. But you must believe that the one who died and rose again is God himself. In fact, the theme of verses 17 through 47 in John chapter 5 is the deity of of Christ, Christ's claim that he is fully God. In fact, this whole section is about eternal life, why Jesus came. If Jesus is not God, 
he cannot be your savior. If Jesus is not God, he cannot be your savior. And so we started to look last week at Jesus appealing to the testimony of his own father about him. God the Father, who is truth, testifies to the full and authoritative deity of Jesus. So Jesus appeals to the greatest witness of all, God the Father. The highest witness in the entire universe is God the Father, and that is to whom Jesus appeals. In verse 30, Jesus says of John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, he is saying, whatever the Father does, the Son does. As he instructs, I do, because we work together in perfect harmony. In verse 32, Jesus says, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. There is another who bears witness about me. It is my Father in heaven. He is the one who bears witness about me. And as we looked at last week, we have the great testimony of the Father through three witnesses. The great testimony of the Father through three witnesses. The first witness is John the Baptist. The second witness is the works and miracles of Jesus. And the third witness is the witness of the Word of God, the witness of the Bible. Let me just go over the first two because we're going to cover the third this morning, even as I shared with you last week. So the first witness of the Father is the witness he gave through John the Baptist. In verse 33, we saw, you sent to John, he says to these Jewish religious leaders, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. God the Father sent John the Baptist. John the Baptist proclaimed the truth about who Jesus is. He came as a witness, an important witness, as part of the Father, the greater witness of the Father. In verse 34, we saw Jesus says, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John the Baptist came proclaiming that salvation will come through the one who comes after me, Jesus Christ. So John the Baptist says, the one for whom I am the forerunner, The one who comes after me, he is the one who has come to provide salvation. He is the Savior of the world. When John saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as I shared with you last week, his father, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, after John was born, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesies that this son who has been born, that John the Baptist will tell people the message of salvation. He says, my son will give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So the first witness of the Father is through John the Baptist. The second witness of the Father is through the works of Jesus. The works of Jesus include his teaching, his miracles, 
his casting out of demons, rebuking demons, and his raising people from the dead. All of those, especially his miracles, are a testimony from the Father that Jesus is who he claims to be. In verse 36, we saw Jesus said, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. That's it. The very works that I am doing, Jesus said. The miracles that I do bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Nicodemus knew this. Nicodemus knew this. When he comes to Jesus in John chapter 3, he says to Jesus, no one, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It was evident even to Nicodemus that these works of Jesus, these miracles of Jesus testified that God was truly with him. So I want you to think we have three witnesses in ascending order. We have the witness of John the Baptist. But the witness of John the Baptist was a temporary witness. It came for a season and John was beheaded and died. Then an even greater witness came. It was the witness of the works, the miracles of Jesus. But, of course, Jesus died, was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven. So that witness was temporary also. Now we have a third witness. And this witness, in a sense, is the greatest witness of all. It is the witness of the word of, the word of God, the Bible. Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. It is the greatest witness of all. It is the witness of the Father about the full deity of his son, Jesus. And that's our second point this morning. You search the scriptures. The third witness of the Father is the witness of scripture. In verse 37, Jesus says, And the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. This is a scathing indictment of those Jewish religious leaders by Jesus because of the hardness of their hearts and minds. He says, The Father who sent me, the God that you claim to believe in, the God whose scriptures you claim to read and believe, the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. And then he says this, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. This is a general indictment that you don't know anything about God. You claim to know him, to believe him, and worship him, but you don't know anything about him. It's kind of an ironic statement, verse 37, because he said, you haven't heard his voice, you haven't seen his form, because in a sense, Jesus is the voice and the form of the Father speaking right to them. In John chapter 14, Jesus said to Philip, if you have seen me, You have seen the Father, but you know nothing. You don't know anything 
about the God you claim to believe. And then in verse 38, he says this, and you do not have his word abiding in you. You don't hear his voice, you don't see his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you. How do I know that? For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You don't believe in me. That's how I know that you don't have his word abiding in you. Because if you believed the scriptures, you would know that the Father sent me. You would believe in me. You see what's happening here? Is those Jewish religious leaders, as much as they devoted themselves to the scriptures, their minds had become hardened and their hearts had become hardened. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul uses an Old Testament illustration to teach us the very thing Jesus is teaching here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul takes us back to Moses. When Moses would go into the tabernacle, he would fellowship with God. He would see the Shekinah glory of God. And when he'd come out, his face would be glowing and he would have to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites couldn't see his face. And Paul says, you now have a veil over your minds and over your hearts that's keeping you from seeing an even greater glory than Moses saw. And that is the glory of me. That is the glory of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, Paul writes, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Now, I want you to keep in mind this morning, this is so important. Jesus is talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the Torah and the law of Moses. There was no New Testament at this time. When Jesus is speaking, there was no such thing as the New Testament. So everything he's saying, he's saying about the Old Testament. So if we were to translate this in a way that applies directly to us what Paul is saying for to this day when they read the Old Testament that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ only through Christ is it taken away yes to this day whenever you read the Old Testament a veil lies over their hearts and that brings us to an extremely important point this morning And that is this, that Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. He's everywhere in the Bible. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. Jesus is found everywhere in the Old Testament. I'm going to share a quote with you this morning. It comes from William Hendrickson, a late Bible scholar. In his commentary on the Gospel of John, he says this. And I want you to listen carefully because I hope this will help you not only this morning, but in your future Bible study. I think this can be of great help to you. He says, Christ is in all Scripture. And this unlocks the mysteries of the Old Testament as well as the New, and apart from which the Bible remains a closed book. I want you to think about that. Jesus is everywhere everywhere in the Old Testament. And of course he's found in the New Testament. 
But if you don't understand this, if that's not how you approach your Bible study, then the Bible is going to remain, for the most part, a mystery to you. Stay with me here this morning. One of the keys to unlocking the mysteries of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, one of the keys to unlocking the mysteries is seeing Jesus everywhere. Seeing him in all the Bible. Now, that leads us, that builds us up, or builds up the drama to verse 39. In verse 39, Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. He says, you search the scriptures. The word search here is a really interesting word. The word search has the word picture associated with it of a lion prowling and preying upon its prey. It is a lion studying and stalking his prey. As you may know, lions will wait in the tall grass for long periods of time, even days, studying their kill. And then they will pounce when the time is exactly right. But they will meticulously study, study their prey. And that's what the word here means, search. You meticulously study. In fact, it's where we get our English word, investigate. It literally means to investigate. You study. You investigate the scriptures. And they did. This is what's so kind of frightful and amazing about this passage. Those Jewish religious leaders spent hours and hours and hours studying the Old Testament, the Torah, the Law of Moses, the prophets. They didn't do shallow Bible studies. They didn't just do overview Bible studies. They were deep students, but they interpreted the Old Testament, by their man-made traditions and by their man-made rules and regulations and totally misinterpreted the Bible. Once in a while, they would get something right. But for the most part, they studied and they missed what was right before them. But this reminds us of something important, what Jesus is saying here. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And they were right. The Old Testament does teach us about eternal life. It does teach us about salvation. But that's only because they teach us. Those scriptures teach us about Jesus. And it is they that bear witness about me. The way you find eternal life in the Old Testament is when you recognize that Jesus is in the Old Testament. Here's something you may know, but we need to be reminded of over and over again. Salvation in Christ. Salvation in Christ is found throughout the Old Testament. Did you know that? Salvation in Christ is found throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament tells us about the birth of Christ, Isaiah chapter 7, Micah chapter 5. The Old Testament tells us that when Messiah comes, he is going to suffer for us. He's going to be punished for our sins 
Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. The Old Testament tells us about the resurrection of the Messiah in passages like Psalm 16, where it says of the Messiah, you will not let his soul go to hell, and you will not let your Holy One see decay or corruption. The whole Levitical system of animal sacrifices was pointing forward to one final sacrifice who was to come and to take away sin. Did you know that the Old Testament teaches that salvation is a free gift? Yes, even the Old Testament says that Abraham believed God. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In Habakkuk, it teaches us that the righteous will live by faith. Throughout the Old Testament, we learn of the ultimate rule and reign of the Messiah from one end of the earth to the other. So he suffers, he dies, he rises again, and then he rules and reigns. And it's all in the Old Testament. A fascinating part of the New Testament is when Jesus is on the road to Emmaus. There are two disciples walking along. Jesus has died. He is risen. But his disciples aren't aware of it yet. And the two disciples are talking about all the things that happened around Jerusalem, about Jesus' death. And Jesus joins them, but they don't know it's Jesus. And in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, we read this. And he, Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all, watch this, that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Haven't you read the scriptures? And I love verse 27. What a verse. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, beginning with the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Remember, there is no New Testament. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I call this one of my fly-on-the-wall passages. I wish I had been there. I wish I could have heard that. I wish I could have walked with them. I wish I could have been that third disciple walking with Jesus and listening how he unfolds the Old Testament and explains about salvation in himself. And then we come to that tragic, sad verse in verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Yet you refuse to come to me. The Old Testament scriptures which you so meticulously study bear witness of me. It is the witness of God. It is the witness of the Father. And yet, And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. We've already seen this in the Gospel of John. We saw it in chapter 3. This isn't going to be on the screen, but I think of John chapter 3, verse 19. Jesus said, and this is the judgment. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. The light has come into the world. But the people loved darkness rather than light. So the first witness of the Father is John the Baptist. The second witness of the Father is the works, the miracles of Jesus. And the third and greatest witness is the witness of the Bible itself. It is the witness of Scripture. 
But as we close this morning, there is a very important lesson here. One lesson, and it's a lesson that I think ought to strike a kind of holy fear into all of our hearts. Let every one of us beware. You can search the scriptures and still miss Jesus and still miss eternal life. I don't know about you, but that's kind of scary. You can search the scriptures and still miss Jesus and still miss eternal life. We know this is true. We do. There are liberal theologians and liberal pastors all over the world who say they read the Bible, but they miss Jesus and they miss eternal life. There are cults that claim to believe the Bible, but they miss Jesus and they miss eternal life. But what about us? I think it is easy for us not to get the fullness of Scripture if we're not careful how we approach it. I think we ought to approach our reading, our study of Scripture with such a sense of humility and wanting God to speak to us through His Word, to search us through His Word. So let's be reminded of some simple things here, but important things. Don't merely study the Bible as an academic book. Oh, I'm all for word studies and in-depth studies of the Bible. But don't ever let the Bible become a dry academic piece of literature for you. We need to remember that atheists and agnostics and secularists read the Bible. And they read it merely as a piece of literature and nothing more. But let's not go to the other extreme. Don't merely read the Bible for warm feelings and comforting thoughts. If all we do is come to the Bible and kind of jump all over the place so we get some warm fuzzies from the Bible that morning, I think we're missing the fullness of what God wants to teach us through His Word. And don't merely read the Bible because you're fascinated by prophecy. I mean, the Bible is filled with important prophetic predictions that we need to understand and know about. The Bible is filled with comforting thoughts, but we can't let that become the sole focus of why we study the Bible. We need the Bible, or we need to approach the Bible and let it speak for itself. That's why this church has always believed so strongly in what we call expositional preaching and teaching. And that is when you come to the Bible, you let it speak for itself. You don't impose your beliefs on it. You don't impose your thoughts on it. You let it expose itself in all of its beauty and wonder. You let the scriptures search your heart and convict you of your sin. You let the scriptures search your heart and convict you of your need for a Savior. And even as believers, we need to see our constant, constant need for Jesus. Not just as Savior. Oh, yes, we need Him as Savior, but also as the Lord of our lives. For apart from Him, we can do nothing. We not only need Him for salvation, but we need Him for sanctification, for our growth and maturity in the Lord. We need Him every day. Now, let me encourage you this morning. 
you can read the Bible for all it's worth. If you come to the Bible in humility and submission, believing it is the word, the very words of God, it will open itself up to you. Do you know there were Jewish people who saw Jesus in the Old Testament? Did you know that? Two of my favorite characters in the New Testament are Anna and Simeon in Luke chapter 1. Mary and Joseph bring the infant Jesus to the temple. And man, Anna and Simeon are right on it. They're right on it. They know. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, they know this is the Messiah. He's here before I die, before the Lord closes my eyes, I get to behold the Lord's Messiah. Do you know how they knew that? They saw him. They saw him in the Old Testament. Elizabeth and Zechariah saw it, the parents of John the Baptist. There was that remnant of Jews who saw Jesus way before he ever came. Jesus, the only salvation of God, is found in the Bible from the beginning to the end. And I want to challenge all of us this morning. When you read the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. When you read the Bible, look for Jesus. When you read the Bible, look for Jesus. Because he's everywhere. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Let's pray together. Father, my prayer for every one of us here this morning, open our eyes, open our hearts to see Jesus in every part of the Bible from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. Oh, Lord, illuminate us through the work of your Holy Spirit Enlighten our minds and our hearts that we might see Jesus everywhere in Scripture. For we pray in his name. Amen.